Welcome to Whenever Worship with Washington Farm United Methodist Church. Our daily life can make it hard to connect with God at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Whenever Worship helps you connect whenever you can, wherever life takes you with patterns of prayer, reflection, and conversation that will help you lift your heart up in all of the ways that we live out our lives as people of a living faith in a living God. years ago, I was leading a small group in my home, and we were talking about the kingdom of God. I was explaining how the kingdom of God isn't this idea of a heaven that we get to experience someday after we've passed away or, or something that only becomes a reality at the second coming of Christ. I was telling this group that God was working to create this kingdom right here, right now. One of the group members, this really smart woman with like a PhD, looked at me like I had two heads. And she said, I can't believe that. This world is too messed up for God to be doing anything right now. And then a few months ago in a meeting, I was reflecting on John fourteen twelve, where Jesus tells the disciples, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I asked the team why they thought we stumble at this scripture. And a dear friend said to me, because it feels impossible in the world that we live in. This world makes God's promises feel impossible. I get that. We're we're quite literally surrounded by brokenness, and we don't have to look very far to see that brokenness in action. I mean, it's, it's actually a little overwhelming sometimes. Uh, working at a church without a building, I made my office in a lot of places, but mostly you could find me working at a Panera. In the winter, I would arrive at Panera at 9 a.m., not long after most of the hypothermia shelters in the area had closed for the morning. Invariably, I would find a few regulars hanging outside of Panera asking for spare change or a meal. And sometimes these folks would come inside Panera and sit in the warmth and relative comfort of the cafe. But the store manager would chase them out, and one day he even called the police to do a walkthrough of his store. Now, I could come in and order coffee for $2.99 and, and sit for hours at a table typing at my computer. But these folks who were experiencing homelessness weren't allowed to occupy that same space. What makes someone experiencing homelessness not worthy of occupying the same space that I get to occupy? The answer is complicated. But it's also pretty simple. Brokenness. And that's just here, right? In my immediate world. Late this summer, as I watched Kabul fall on television at a diner uh, in Lorton, I immediately set up a mission project to meet the needs of SIV refugees being resettled here in the greater Alexandria area. This was really important to my husband and to me for a number of reasons, but our six-year-old had a lot of questions. 
Have you ever tried to explain why people have to leave everything they own to flee a place to a six-year-old? Have you ever tried to explain how we ended up in a a 20-year war to a six-year-old? The answers are complicated, but they're also pretty simple. Brokenness. Homelessness, poverty, hunger, war, these are the children of cosmic evil, which which manifests itself in sins like racism, classism, nationalism, sexism, and a a whole lot of other isms, too. But on a day-to-day basis, most of us aren't dealing with cosmic sins. And, And I think that when we say that the kingdom of God feels pretty impossible, We're not actually talking about these cosmic forces that really do feel overwhelming. I think we're we're talking about a a different kind of brokenness that makes itself manifest in the world. The dysfunction we experience in our everyday relationships. This reflection is based on Job 28 uh, verses 12 through 28. And this particular section of the book of Job is an interlude in the argument that Job and his friends are having. The scripture asks the question, where shall wisdom be found? And the same scripture answers itself by way of a a non-answer, really. Mortals do not know the way to it, and it is not found in the land of the living. Now, this is not the only time our ancient scriptures remind us that our broken ways do not lend themselves to wisdom. Paul devotes the first 91 verses of his letter to First Church Corinth to talk about how the wisdom of the wise is, is not the wisdom of God. And what I find particularly interesting is that Paul does this in the context of addressing the divisions in this church that he's heard about from Chloe's people. You see, First Church Corinth has a lot of divisions in it. People are divided almost over almost everything, it seems. And they've taken these divisions and they've created factions. Some people are rallying behind Apollos. Some people are rallying behind Cephas. Some people are rallying behind Paul. And some people are saying that they alone are rallying behind Christ. And these divisions are, are leaching into every aspect of their lives together as a community of faith. When they gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper, those who have the most money and the most leisure time are able to gather together long before those who have to work. And they're all eating all of the food and drinking all of the wine. So when those with the least free time are finally able to show up, there is nothing left for them to share in, to eat, and to drink. Several families in First Church Corinth are feuding with each other over what we, we don't quite know, but there, there are deep grievances which are tearing this church apart. They don't want to talk to each other, so instead they talk around each other. There are also arguments over whose gifts are the most beneficial to the church. Some people view their power, wealth, and social clout as more important than those who have little to no social power, who have little to no actual freedom, who have little to no social clout. The divisions in First Church Corinth are are legion. I I challenge you sometimes to pull out your Bible and, and, and name them all. 
But when we do that, it's easy to feel a little superior to those poor yokels in Corinth. I mean, after all, these aren't the kinds of things happening in our church, are they? Are they? The reason why I love Paul's letter to the Corinthians so much is because he's not just writing to First Church Corinth. He, he's writing to First Church Anytown, First Church Anywhere. If Paul was writing to our church today, how different would his tenor be? Well, the truth of the matter is that it wouldn't be all that different. We live in a broken world, but the thing is, more often than not, we're not trying to put the world back together again. We're busy breaking it up even more. What would Paul write to us about? Uh, he might say, if you ever heard a juicy piece of gossip and gotten on the phone to immediately share it with someone else, you've been busy creating divisions. He might write, if you've ever gotten so mad at someone else that you hit forward on an email sent to you so you could pit others against that person too, well, you've been, you've been busy creating divisions. If you have ever wanted your way so badly that you called this person and then that person and then another person to rally them to your cause, you've been busy creating divisions. Paul would have a lot to say to us, wouldn't he? Because in the 2,000 or so years since he wrote this letter to First Church Corinth, we still haven't learned that mortals don't know the way to wisdom. You see, we take division as the, the natural way of things. Our, our political parties divide us. Our, our denominational theology divides us. Our sports teams divide us. And, and whether or not we think pineapple belongs on pizza divides us. I could stand right here where I am standing right now and say a handful of phrases that out of context you would probably agree with, but within the context of divisive slogans, I know that next week some of you would not come back and listen. And then the next week I could say a handful of other phrases and the rest of you probably wouldn't come back to listen either. And then for those folks who don't even listen to me today, they'd find out what I said and I'd get emails and phone calls and probably some random office visits about being right or being wrong or about not being right enough or not being wrong enough. I know it's true and so do you because in some context or another, you've probably had the same thing happen to you. You see, our brokenness thrives when it creates more brokenness. Our brokenness feeds off of other brokenness. The, the dysfunction of our dysfunction is that we feel like we're functioning at our best when we're functioning at our worst. And, and this is why, this is why the wisdom of the world cannot possibly be the wisdom of God. And this is why it feels impossible that we could possibly be co-creating God's kingdom with God right here, right now. And yet, our scripture today asks, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? And our scripture answers itself. God understands the way to it. God saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to humankind, truly the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Fear here means reverence. A deep respect for God is wisdom. 
and a deep respect for how God works and calls us to work. God, God doesn't divide. Uh, political parties are, are not of God. Sports teams are not of God. Pizza toppings are not of God. Because God calls us to oneness, not to sameness, but to oneness, which I think Paul explains the best in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. He writes, as it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there, may be, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. But you know, we don't often live our lives like this. And because we don't live our lives in this oneness, it can feel like we live in a world that is unraveling at a breakneck pace with no hope of ever being knit back together again. But that's the wisdom of mortals. That's, that's not the wisdom of God. God, you see, looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. He gives the wind its weight and apportions out the waters by measure. He makes a decree for the rain and a way for the thunderbolt. And God's wisdom is transforming this world from what it is now into what God knows it can be. And God's wisdom is transforming you too. When we depart from evil, when we depart from divisiveness, God is transforming us from, from who we are now into who God is calling us to be. And, and that's the good news of all of this. We, we are broken people who easily give in to the sin of division, but, but God calls us to oneness. And each time we come to God's table and proclaim that we are the body of Christ, God's grace transforms us as it conforms us to the image of God within each of us. As broken as we ever are, and as broken as this world ever is, may we be ever conformed. May we be ever transformed, and may we know that the work of God is not impossible, but is happening all around us and within us. Thanks be to God.